0: If you get your Bible, Matthew 28 is where we're going to hang out today. Um, we are finishing a series called It Is Finished. So we have for the last eight weeks, today's the ninth week, been in a series in Matthew chapter 27 and 28. Um, we've been tracing the last five days of the life of Jesus as he finished his mission um, that God sent him to the cross, uh, the grave, and the resurrection. Um, We, for three years, have been in the book of Matthew, so I guess you could say we're also finishing the book of Matthew. But as we look back through this series, uh, we spent one day on Wednesday, we spent three days on Thursday, we spent three days on Friday. Last week we got to Sunday, and today we find ourselves past Resurrection Weekend on the other side of the man... And today we're looking at the mission. So last Sunday, if you were here, uh, we met Jesus on Resurrection Sunday morning as one who was dead, but who God brought back to life by the power of God. Last week, we realized that Jesus is the man. Somebody say the the man. Like last week, we realized Jesus is the man. He's him. He is the guy that God sent to save the world and to connect them to God. And he proved that by having power over death. So last week was about the man, but the man has a mission. Somebody say the mission. Today, as we close this series, we're going to look at the man's mission in what is known as the Great Commission in Scripture, the greatest mission that God has ever given anyone. We learned last week that Jesus met some women outside the tomb. He passed along a request for them. He said, go get my guys and tell them to meet me in Galilee, which would have been the northern part of Israel. As we pick up today in verse 16, the guys have gone to Galilee. And it says this, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Last week was about the man. Somebody say the man. This week is about the mission. Somebody say the mission. I want you to remember those two things. We're going to start today with what I call the method of the mission. The man came and he gave a mission to his people, but I want to talk to you about the method of the mission because it is the grand finale of this book of Matthew that we've been studying for the last three years. So for those of you who've tracked with us in the series or have a little bit of biblical education, uh, Matthew was a guy who actually was called by a different name. He was a Jewish disciple of Jesus who was known when Jesus met him by the, uh, by the name of Levi. Uh, Levi would have been a Jewish name given to him by his parents. It probably meant he was from the tribe of Levi. Uh, the Levi tribe or the Levitical tribe was literally given to Israel to serve in God's temple so they could serve the people of God on behalf of God and connect them to God. And Levi apparently said, I don't want to do that. So he changed his name and he changed his calling. He gave himself a Gentile named Matthew. He said, I don't want to serve God, I want to serve Caesar. I don't want to serve Israel, I want to serve Rome. I don't want to collect sacrifices to connect people to the good graces of God. I want to collect taxes to collect, connect people to the good graces of Caesar. And he became a tax collector who ran from his spiritual calling and heritage until he met Jesus. And then he met Jesus and everything changed. He becomes a follower of Jesus and it appears he became one of the first followers of Jesus to decide to write a book about the life and ministry of Jesus so that the people in his life would know who Jesus claimed to be and who he believed Jesus was. So he writes this letter that has 28 chapters in our Bible, 1,073 verses in this book, 10% of these verses, about 100 of them, come directly from the Old Testament or what we would call the Hebrew Bible or what our Jewish friends might call the Tanakh. Basically, a history of uh, a, a, a set of ancient writings that were produced from people who said they were speaking on behalf of God to connect the world to God, who said God is going to send someone who will save you from your brokenness, who will save you from your disconnection, and will heal you and bring you to God. So the Jewish people had been looking forward to this guy, and over 53 times Matthew quotes direct verses from the Old Testament. Over 100 he alludes very clearly to verses in the Old Testament to say he's him. The ancient writings that said there was a creator God that created the heavens and the earth and humanity and then they drifted from him has been promising he's going to pull everyone back together through the life of this savior, this Messiah. Matthew writes his entire book to say it's Jesus, it's him. And the grand finale of his book, the last five of 1,073 verses, which Matthew at his point in time in life probably thinks is the final word ever on the life and ministry of Jesus says, here, now that you've met the man, here's the most important thing you need to know as you move forward in life. And he gives us his mission. I want to talk a little bit about the people and the plan that God gave his people for God's mission. And then I want to talk about how as a church we plan to try to move forward into that as we head into next year. Let's start with the people, Jesus' 11 disciples. We meet them in Galilee in Matthew 28, 16. It's interesting. Matthew says they went where Jesus had told them to go. I think if we were to look at the life of these 11 men, we would say that two words describe the spiritual posture of the 11 disciples for three years, but specifically on this day, that they were faithful and they were obedient. They did what Jesus told them to do, not exactly knowing how that was going to turn out. They trusted the man. Three years they had been faithful to do small tasks for the man. Pick up the basket. Throw the net on the other side. Go help these people. Get the water. Pick up the leftovers. They had just faithfully been obedient to the small things. And now they would be given a chance to meet the resurrected Messiah. But really through a mediator. We read that Jesus told the women, tell the guys to go to Galilee. So now they are trusting women that a dead man not only is alive, but that he's going to meet them more than 100 miles from where they are. So they go to Galilee, where Jesus shows up and meets them. But he shows up and meets them because they were faithful and obedient. Can I ask you a question? If somebody were writing the story of your life spiritually, and how you follow Jesus, are these two words that they would use? Like if they were to summarize all of your time as a follower of Jesus, would they constantly say things like, They just did what Jesus told them to do. They just always went where Jesus told them to go. They just always kind of faithfully obeyed the next thing Jesus asked them to do. You know, every now and then I'll talk to people. I talked to one of our young high school students after church this morning um, who said, you know, I just don't really feel close to God right now. And I'll always ask this question from Matthew 28, 16. Well, have you went where he told you he'll meet you? Because like he tells you, he'll meet you in his word. Have you gone there? He's told you that he'll meet you in prayer. Have you gone there? He's told you he'll meet you with the gathering of his people on the first day of every week to celebrate the resurrection. He's told you he'll be there. Have you you been there? He told you where two or three are gathered in his name for his purposes. Like, have you gone to small group? Are you serving in the community? Like, why I don't really feel close to God. Well, have you gone where he has told you he will be? Every now and then I'll talk to someone and they said, yep, I'm in the word, I'm in prayer, I've been going to church, I faithfully attend small groups, I'm living on mission. I just still feel disconnected from God. Then we get to have the fun conversation. Then I get to say, is it possible that there's an area of sin in your life that you're aware of or not aware of that right now is just kind of clouding what God wants to do in your heart? See, it's not God. God always tells us where he'll be and he'll and he says, meet me there. And these 11 disciples were faithful to do that. Faithful obedience is not always easy. It's not always simple. But it is very, very clear, and it is a small thing that leads to big things spiritually. I love what it also says about these people. It says, they saw, they worshipped, and they doubted. They saw, they worshipped, and they doubted. They say, say can, you do this? can you do all of those at the same time, apparently? Matthew summarized the post-resurrection 40 days of Jesus' life and quite possibly summarized most days of our faith lives. Do you ever have days where it's very clear that Jesus is working and you're worshiping what Jesus is doing and at the same time you've got doubt about this other thing at the exact same time? Like I love that Matthew gives us permission to see, worship, and doubt all at the same time because that's what had happened in this 40-day window. Matthew doesn't go into all the occurrences, but we know Jesus made at least seven different Post resurrection appearances. We know he appeared to the women at the tomb. We know he appeared to disciples on the road to Emmaus. We know he went into a locked room where 10 of his disciples were without Thomas. And then he had another time where all 11 of them were together. We know that he went fishing with them on the Sea of Galilee at one point and at the end of the book of John. We know he was with them on the Mount of Olives. And First Corinthians 15 says, at one point, 500 people gathered together at one time to listen to Jesus give a message. And if we unpack these 40 days carefully, which we won't do, we'll see this one big idea. Spiritual doubt always grows with spiritual distance. The further people were from God, the more time they had spent not being in face-to-face connection with Jesus or his people, the further people were distanced from God and the work of God, the more their doubt grew. And the closer they were to Jesus, the more they had peace. Peace and purpose comes with the presence of Jesus. And according to Matthew 28, we don't just get peace and purpose when we get close to Jesus, we literally get the plan of God, not from the presence of Jesus, but we would literally say flowing from the presence of Jesus, we get the plan of God, which is share with the world who I am. In verse 19, Jesus would tell his disciples, go and make disciples. It's a really bad English translation of a Greek word because Greek has so many verb tenses built into the word that the English doesn't have, a better English translation would be, as you are going, you're going to help people know who I am. You need to understand the Great Commission was not an option you could choose as a follower of Jesus. The Great Commission was not an action you could take as a follower of Jesus. The way that Jesus said it means this, the Great Commission is a result of your life if two things are true. If you are alive and if you are a follower of Jesus... As you live your life, other people will learn about Jesus. It's not something you opt into or out of. It's not something you have to do. It is is who you are. If you are alive and you know Jesus, Jesus says every day as you live your life, you're going to help people know who I am. And if you look at it carefully, his plan for his followers was that as they live their lives, four things would happen, working from Verse 20 backwards, they'd spend time with Jesus. I'll always be with you. As you live your life, you're always going to spend time with me. You're going to learn and obey and apply the word of God. You're going to teach people to obey everything I've commanded, which means you'll have to learn everything I've commanded. And then surely you'll want to follow that so you don't teach others to do something you're not doing because the word we have for that in the church language, it comes from the ancient Greek language, is the word hypocrite, which means you wear a mask, you're two-faced. There's one you outside a church and then one you inside a church. So if you're going to teach anything what Jesus commanded, you've got to learn it, you've got to obey it, and then you can help others learn it you got to publicly identify as a follower of Jesus. That's what baptism is. It's telling the world, I love Jesus, I'm with him. And then you'll live to reproduce your faith in others. Jesus says two things. If you're alive and if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what your life's supposed to look like. Now, as we look at our lives at Journey, as we look at our lives as a congregation, as we look at our call in this community, you need to know we've got kind of a two-phase plan, short-term and long-term, to try to do this in your life and in and through our church. The first would be this. One of the short-term plans, two weeks from today, we're going to ask you, if you've not been baptized yet, to be baptized. We've got what we call our baptism and cookout service. Dozens and dozens of Christians are already signed up to do this because they haven't, since they've become a Christian, been able to tell the world, I want the world to know that I follow Jesus. Can I help you understand something? This is not optional for Christians and the reason we're teaching this is like guys like Pastor Ryan and I, we don't get the option of saying you can be a Christian who has been baptized or who hasn't been baptized. It's truly really up to you. It's not one of the options you get. It's one of the realities that if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be baptized because it's how you begin to tell the world that you love and follow Jesus. So one of the reasons we're impressing this upon you so much this year is because Jesus impresses it so clearly in his gospel. It's why in your bulletin, if you receive one today, we've got this October 1st baptism interest card. If you are a follower of Jesus who's not been baptized, you need to know God's not waiting for you to decide whether or not you're going to do it. He's waiting on you to decide when you're going to do it. Because if you're alive and you follow Jesus, it's what you do. So you can fill out the QR code, you can fill out this card, you can throw it in the box between the doors when you leave, you can take it to the connection center. But I hope you'll be one of the dozens that says, wait a minute, I'm alive, I love Jesus, I've not been baptized, I guess I need to do that. That's one of the short-term things we're doing in the next two weeks. The other short-term thing we're doing in the next two weeks is we are inviting all of you and some of you back into the Bible reading program. So more than a thousand attenders of Journey uh, attempted to start reading the Bible through this year and so many did so well. And then at some point this summer, we met Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. And we realized not only did we hate them, but we hated prophecy. We hated the second half of the book of Daniel. We might hate reading the Bible. We're not even sure if we like God. Like there's some days like you, you finish reading. And you're like, this is, this is just awful. I'd rather do homework. Um, so some people just press pause. And it's going to be really, really hard to catch up. Our Bible reading plan on October 1st resets in the New Testament. And in 90 days, you can read the entire New Testament completely through by reading about 12 to 15 minutes a day. Matthew 1-1 all the way through Revelation twenty two twenty one. 21 We want to invite you to join a Bible reading group. Today at our Connection Center, we've got some Bibles and Bible reading resources there. Some of you in the short term say, why do you read the Bible? Because Jesus said, if you're alive and you follow Jesus, one of the things you'll constantly do is learn, obey, and apply the Word of God to your life. So we do that because Jesus says that's what Christians do. That's our short term. But our long term really kicks off next year. And we are birthing kind of an 18-month initiative at our church that we tried to fit into 12. It wouldn't fit. Where we are starting January 1 of next year, birthing an 18-month initiative called Come and Surrender. And the goal of this initiative is that every person at our church would surrender 1% of their life. 1% of their life to kingdom living for the purpose of kingdom movement. Keep the other 99% for yourself. The goal of this 18-month initiative is that you would surrender 1% of your life for kingdom living for the purpose of kingdom movement. We believe if you'll do that with our training and our equipping and our accountability that over the next three years, January 1 of 2024 to January 1 of 2027, you will not only become equipped to be a disciple but you'll be a disciple who can disciple someone, and you will be a Christian who can tell someone else about Jesus who doesn't know him. We think we got a pretty good three-year plan to do that. The first half of that's going to be called Come and Surrender. We try as a church to live very intentionally. We don't just go Sunday to Sunday. So when we moved into this building in 2022, at the very tail end of 2021, we called 2022 at Journey, Come and See. And here's why we called it that. We said, we know after 18 months of building this building along 150 Highway... There's going to be hundreds of people from our community that want to come and see the building. We need to make sure when they walk in, they see Jesus, not Journey, because Journey can't offer them anything, but Jesus can offer them everything. So how do we figure out when people walk in, just because they want to see what we've been building, that they find Jesus, not Journey? This happened Thursday night, by the way. I was talking to our college ministry director before service today. He was telling me that you know they had a a big number of guests and he said one of the first time guests literally drove by. He said, as he drove by, this guy's been thinking, I've seen that building. I've always wanted to see the inside of the building. It looks like it's open tonight. He wandered in and it was like, hey, this just happens to be the night when people your age are having small group and he ends up in our college and young adult ministry um, in small group. He came to see the building but hopefully he's gonna see Jesus clearly. That was the whole thought of 2022. In 2023, this year, the goal was come and follow. Um, Now that you've seen Jesus, let's follow Jesus. So we had a Bible reading initiative. We had a baptism initiative. We had a a marriage and relationship conference early in the year where we wanted people to lean into having healthy families. We've done some really cool things in our come and follow year. But next year, we're going to start an 18-month initiative called Come and Surrender. The 18 months after that, we'll have an initiative called Come and Multiply. And we're going to ask every person in our church to disciple someone for 18 months and to reach someone who doesn't know Jesus. Not bring them to church and let me reach them. You reach them. We take 18 months to train you how to do that. If you will surrender 1% of your life, we think we can do that. I don't know if you've ever done the math. So we did it for you. Look at this come and surrender 18 month initiative and what it could mean for you. Do you know that 1% of your day is 14.4 minutes? Do you know if you read your Bible 12 to 15 minutes a day? that you will read your Bible through in an entire year completely cover to cover? Which means for those of you who tried and failed this year, you probably could honestly say in 2023, I did not have 1% of my day to commit to Bible reading. Because if I I did, you made it all the way through, 1%. Do You know that 1% of your week is one hour and 40 minutes? 1% of your month is seven hours and 10 minutes? 1% of your year is three and a half days? According to all the census data for the average person living in our community, 1% of your income would be $750 to $1,500. The average lease Summit median income, it appears, sits around $75,000, but the, vast, the highest number of households live between 100,000 and 150,000. These are just numbers we're throwing out. This appears to be 1% of impact in your life. Now you say, how could this amount of time help us with the method of Jesus' mission? Well, look specifically what could happen if you surrender 1% of your life for Jesus initiatives. 1% more of your day, 14.4 minutes to your personal time with Jesus. If you're not doing this, we're going to ask you to start. If you are doing this, we're going to ask you to add 14.4 more. For those who read the Bible this year, we're going to have a dozen of our favorite daily devotionals that take less than 90 seconds to read on the table by the end of the year so that you can go through those. For those of you who read your Bible and a devotional, we're creating a a scripture memory pack with 52 verses that you can spend time getting ready to memorize. For those of you who are reading your Bible and already reading a devotional and memorizing scripture, we're going to give you our dozen favorite Christian biographies of heroes of the past that you can spend 14.4 minutes a day. We're going to ask you to give 1% more of your day. 1% more of your week to spiritual community. What if you would spend an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes every week with spiritual community talking about spiritual things? 1% more of your month would be 7 hours and 10 minutes to attend and serve God's church. We're going to birth an initiative in January called 36 and 24. Here's that initiative. For some of you, it's going to be like, that's all? We're going to challenge every family in our church to attempt to attend 36 Sundays in person in 2024. Here's why. Between January 1 and June 30 of this year, we had more than 1,100 different children between birth and 11 years old who visited our church. 75% of them came only one time a month. You need to know, mom and dads, that is not enough time for us to disciple your kids well. If you give us an hour a month and you give the school system and the internet and social media tens and tens and hundreds of hours... We cannot compete with them. So we're going to ask some people to get more committed in 2024 than they have been. We're going to ask you to give 1% more of your year to serving our community or maybe going on a global impact trip, going on a mission trip. And this last one, 1% more of your income, we're going to ask you to begin to grow towards tithing. The word tithe means 10%. There's this biblical principle that one of the ways we show gratitude and stewardship to God is we give the first 10% to his church for the ministry that they're doing. So for those of you who might be at 1% or 2% or 3%, we're going to ask you to add a percent. If you're already tithing, listen to this. We're going to ask you to give 1% next year, not to the church, but to your bank account, so that when there is a need that comes up in your specific spiritual community, you can withdraw it and meet it immediately. I'll teach this on November 19th, but did you know that in God's system of generosity, he had every family give 10% to the tabernacle temple But then every year they would also put 3.5% in kind of a village allotment so that if anyone in the village had need, they could take and provide for people. I want you to think about this right now. If everyone in this room took 3.5% of their income next year and could collectively put it in an account for the people in this room, you think we'd be able to meet most of the needs that came up? We're talking about this in one of our staff meetings this week, and one of our interns, Hudson, who was leading worship, he's like, man, that guy God is great at his job. Like, he he has the most amazing ideas. Like, he does. He does have the most amazing ideas. So 1% growing towards 3.5% so that your family and your friends and your spiritual community and your neighbors can all be taken care of. As you look at this list, which one of these haven't you surrendered regularly in 2023 that you can commit to Jesus to in 2024? Just 1%. 1% 1% to living with Jesus, living in the word, living on mission, spending time with other believers. If you look at it closely and you know about the Great Commission, you, should, you would say, Christian, it sounds like you're asking us to spend 1% of our time prioritizing the Great Commission. You got it. That's what I'm asking you to do, to spend 1% of your life prioritizing the Great Commissioning. One of the things that I'm excited about, this, uh, this fall we're gonna release a website called 1% More, and we're gonna have ideas for how to have to spend 1% more time making your marriage better, 1% more time in your parenting to disciple your kids, 1% more time to physically maybe do better with your health. We're also going to have a big list of 1% less because for some of you to add 1%, you need to delete 1%. So we're going to say for you to rearrange some things in your life, like you might have to do 1% less of this. By the way, every guy in the room over the age of 20, video games would be a good place to start. 1% less of video games would help you do anything and everything better in life. Can I get an amen? That is true. Um, So the method of the mission, spend time with Jesus, 1% would change everything. Number two, though, I want you to see the multiplication of the mission because if you're like me, you have to be asking the question, can 1% really make a big difference? Come on. It seems like a very light ask. It is a small ask of your time but it will have a huge impact in your life. Literally, there is a secret sauce to the Great Commission, and his name is Jesus. Look at the last half of verse 20. Jesus says, if you will give me that 10%, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. What's interesting is in John chapter 16, Jesus says the way that I will be with you is by being in you through the Holy Spirit. Which basically means this. Let me summarize the thought of the Great Commission when we overlay the teaching of John chapter 16. Jesus' plan for Jesus' people is to be Jesus with skin on every day. Jesus said, I'll always be with you, but by being with you, he means I'm going to be in you. So, literally, if you're alive and you're a Jesus follower, every day you are Jesus with skin on. He lives in you in this natural, you are Jesus with skin on every day. Now, how's your costume? You know, Halloween's coming up. I know some people are not into that, so this is not me saying go celebrate Halloween, but if you do, give good candy. But as you think of Halloween, you know, every year at Halloween, there'll they'll be kids who come to our door with the same costume, but different levels of the costume. You know what I'm saying? Like, there'll be kids come to our door who you can tell their mom and dad forgot it was Halloween, forgot to get them a costume, and they colored on a white t-shirt, and they took some cotton balls and glue from, like, the basement, and they, like, made them a costume, and they're like, go get your candy. They took their mascara and painted a cat face on, and they're like, okay, go, like, go get your candy, right? So this year, we will, like, every year, we'll, like, we'll have people come to our door, and there will, there will be people who forgot that it was Halloween, and they'll show up as Iron Man, And then there'll be the kid whose parents love Halloween and went to the Halloween store like in August, and they bought him the Iron Man costume that actually lets the kid fly. Like you know, like you know, I'm talking about like they spent three thousand dollars on their on their Halloween costume. And there'll be all these levels of like little Iron Mans. Here's why I say that: there are lots of different levels of Jesus with skin on in this church, and some of yours is not very good. Some of you look like you just threw a little mascara on your face and called yourself a cat. Some of you look like your mom grabbed a cotton ball and like glue and put it on your butt and said, all right, you're a rabbit, go. Like, there are some of you who have not spent a whole lot of time thinking about what it means to be Jesus with skin on, and you need to be better in 2024 because you do not look like him at all, and you do not act like him at all, and you do not talk like him at all. But the Great Commission is Jesus with skin on, showing the world who Jesus is, now, before we get to the multiplication of the movement, I think, it's, I think we should talk about the motivation of the movement. I think you have to answer the question as you look at this 1% movement. Do you serve Jesus to get more from Jesus or more of Jesus? The heart of this question is really, really important. When you spend time for Jesus, do you spend time for Jesus thinking, what am I going to get from this? And have you already like, put a list of things together in your head of what you think you should receive from spending time with Jesus? Or do you just want more of him? Because the reality is when you get more of Jesus, you get more of the secret salsa of multiplication. And here's the multiplication. When Jesus makes the plan and when Jesus is the plan, supernatural things are going to happen. You say, can 1% really make a difference? If Jesus is in it, Yes. Yeah, if it's 1% with Jesus, yes, 1% can make a huge difference. And let me tell you my experience of how I experienced this in a very real-life, real-world way over the last year. So Danielle and I will spend uh, a week in Arizona every fall that is kind of our planning and prayer week where I specifically, um, and I'm getting ready to go in a few weeks, um, I will take a notebook and I'll get the primary Bible text I'm teaching And the primary objective that I'm going to get out of that text every Sunday from January 1 through Labor Day. So I'll do nine months of sermon preparation, nine months of sermon planning. Um, I'll just dissect the word, live in the word, just get away from everyone. I won't answer my phone for a week. And I'll just live in the text and figure out what I'm going to teach you next year. I do that every fall. I start every one of those days with about an hour run through the desert. There's a little path by the place we stay. It's like a little six-mile path, so I spent about an hour running and walking outside just to clear my head, wake myself up before I go dig into the Word for seven or eight hours. Last fall while I was on that, I was running, and I was thinking, and I was praying, and the burden of my heart, for those of you who've been at our church a while, um, the first check that ever came into our church, we took 10% of, and we gave it back out. After a couple years, we moved that to 12. After a couple years, we moved that to 15. For those of you who know our long-term vision, our goal is to give 30%. First 30% of what comes in, out. It's been a long time since we've added a percentage. And I was burdened. It was like, God, I feel like it's, you've been so good to us. God, I feel like it's time to give more. And I started kind of praying and having a discussion with God about if, God, if you will help us cut our debt repayment plan in half... So we have a plan as a church that without asking anyone for anything extra, just taking our tithes and offerings, in 10 years we won't have any mortgage left on either one of the buildings that we're in, any of the property that we set on. So I started saying, God, if you will help us eliminate that in five years, in five years we'll go straight from 15 to 20. We'll make a a 5% jump. We'll take 20% of what comes in and we'll give it away if, if you will help us do that. And I felt like God said to my heart, you say, what does that mean? Can't really explain it. It means it felt like a a voice from my heart, not my head. It means it felt like a voice that was not mine, but it was speaking to me. It was tender. It was trustworthy. It was challenging. I felt like God said, that's a great idea. You go first. What do you mean? God's like, I think it's a great idea to have 5% more in five years. Why don't you go first and just start next year by giving 1%? Go from 15% to 16%. Like, God, it would be hard to do that without reworking some other things. God's like, why don't you just do that and trust me? I thought, all right. Felt that I'd heard so clearly from God. I came home, met with our elders, and said, here's the plan. Here's what I think God wants us to do. It's really important for me over the next five years that we move from 15% to 20%. We're going to go 1% a year. One of the guys on the team who knows finances better than me said, that's a really cool idea, but like, that math doesn't work. Like, if we, don't, if we don't eliminate some things, that math doesn't work. And we said, let's just go, let's just try one year and see what happens. All right, got it. A couple weeks later, I'm leaving church on a Sunday. Scott grabs me, our executive pastor in the back hallway, and says, hey, I need you for lunch tomorrow. Um, He said, there's a guy who's been impactful in our church in the past. He's in town, and he's asked to eat lunch with us tomorrow. I need you to cancel what you're doing and come eat lunch with us. Got it. So we drive over to lunch, and I'm like, what's he want? Scott's like, I don't know. He just said he wanted to catch up with us because he's in town. So we go to lunch, we start talking through lunch, kind of halfway through our meal, we're just talking about nothing, so I was like, but you know, hey, what do you, what do you need? And he starts by saying, "Um, I need you to know I'm not going to come to your church anymore. He has a smile on his face, so I know there's something to this, but I'm like, okay, why are you not going to come to our church anymore? Because he said, I was in town over Thanksgiving, I came to your church, and every time I come to your church, God tells me to help you with something, so I'm not going to come to your church anymore. (laughs) All right, Good good to know. Um, and I said, what did God tell you to help us with? He said, God told me to give you a half million dollars next year. And he said, what do you need it for? And I asked Scott, anything in our budget you can think of? And Scott's like, like this is so unexpected, I don't think I could answer that question today. And he said, what about you, Pastor Christian? Anything you need a half million dollars for? And I said, if you would have asked me that question three weeks ago, I would not have had an answer. But I told him my story of running in the desert. And I said, here's what we're going to do. Do you think maybe God wants you to give that money to help us start paying off our mortgage early? And he said, I don't really want to do that. Um, That's not how I want to use that money. He said, but I'll pray about it. He said, maybe if you could match it and raise another half million, I'd be willing to do that. But I don't think I want to do that. All right. So we ride home. Scott's like, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't want to ask anybody for money. I don't feel like it's time yet. Let's just pray and wait and see what God does. A couple weeks later, it's January 1st. Uh, this year, Sunday was January 1. Christian Grassi, our church planning resident, was preaching. Uh, I was at home with Danielle and the kids, and Scott texts me after church and says, Happy New Year. Um, service was awesome. A family gave a year-end gift today of a half a million dollars anonymously. They don't want you to know who it is. Um, they wouldn't even put it in the offering. Um, they handed it to me directly because they're afraid if people know what they give, they'll treat them differently. So I can't tell you who it is, but just, just wanted you to know. And I texted him back, what what is it for? And he said, they said we could use it on whatever we need. So I texted him back and I said, would you ask them specifically if we could use it to reduce our mortgage and tell them we're trying to figure out how to give away more faster? He calls them, they're like, whatever you need it for. So I call the first guy and say, hey, here's what happened, could that be the match? He said, I only have one question, was the check exactly for a half a million dollars? It's like, I have no idea. Texted Scott. Scott, was a check for exactly a half a million dollars? Scott's like, yes, it was for exactly a half a million dollars. Called him back. Yes, it was exactly a half a million dollars. And he said, seems like a God thing to me. Go ahead and pay off a million dollars of your debt. Twelve months. Yes. Yes. That's, that's what I was thinking and feeling that day. It was a happy new year. Twelve months before we committed to give 1%, Jesus said, I'm so far ahead of you. I'm so far ahead of you. Listen, if you've never heard this, please take it to heart today. Jesus always desires more for you than from you. He'll never ask you to do anything that will take more than he will give. His promise in Matthew 28 is I'm with you. But I believe his question in 2024 is will you be with me? I'm with you. Are you with me? Some of you have been waiting all year long on God to do something big for you. Listen, he's been waiting all year long for you to do something small for him. He's like, I'm with you. Are you with me? You know where to find me. He's like, Deion Sanders, I ain't hard to find. Like, Jesus wears the I ain't hard to find shirt. Sure. <laughs> meet me in Galilee, meet me in the word, meet me in prayer, meet me in small group, meet me in serving, meet me on a mission trip, I ain't hard to find. He said, I need God to do something small for me. God needs you to do something small for him. We be faithful The bottom line is we go back to the beginning of this message. we be faithful. The disciples were faithful, they were obedient as this. Faithfulness unlocks fruitfulness. I believe it with all my heart. You just do what Jesus has asked you to do and you trust. This series on the life of Jesus is finished. But our next series on the mission of Jesus is just starting. Next week we'll dig into the book of Philippians for eight weeks and we'll hear a guy writing from prison saying God has more for me than he's asked from me and I'm sitting in prison but let me tell you all the things going great because I surrendered everything in my life to Jesus. It's going to be a really great eight weeks but only for those of you willing to come and surrender. As we close today we'll have three questions scrolling on the screen like we always do. One asking you to pray to surrender 1% next asking you to pray that some others would join us in the room and praying that that faithfulness will turn into fruitfulness and then I'll come and close us in prayer God thank you that Jesus has given us so much and asked for so little in return thank you that you take our faithfulness and you make it fruitfulness open our hearts to hear from you today as we pray and God allow the Holy Spirit to plant seeds in us that grow into tremendous faithfully And highly impactful, fruitful things in our future. Jesus' name, amen.